what retreats for? What have you come for? What is that purpose for you? Yeah. So just to bring it, bring it to mind, you know, I'd imagine various things. Uh, you know, just uh, regenerate. You know, a bit of load shedding on the stress level. <laughs> Regenerate, rest, um, reset, get off the track. Track's getting a bit beaten, a bit frantic, a bit pressurized. Scramble, reset, clean, clear, reset, refresh, regenerate. Mm. Mm. Uh, and that's what retreats are for, really, a special time to lift off the uh, daily routine, daily regime, daily situation, and look again, review, review, review. That's why we come to a, we get out of our home, with a home with all its kind of pleasant um, associations and uh, familiarities and comforts. It gets uh, dusty, gets congested. Mm. So we come out of our home physically and uh, hopefully psychologically prepared to get out some of our habits and uh, our routines and use another set of routines. Uh, and uh, retreat, as you see, coming to a place is actually is uh, extremely attuned to the needs very fundamental human needs. It's a very open place, it's natural, it's gentle, it's well cared for, it's uh, peaceful. These are not esoteric, these are fundamental human needs and human food to, to bring around the kind of refreshment, regeneration that we need. So, so staying here for a week and putting aside the energies and the pace of one's normal day. Retreat days can be quite long and they can seem very long. Because there's not much happening, you know. It's amazing how time flies when you get busy. You know? The time itself is an illusion. Just what's happening in your nervous system. You know, and you know, how long is a day? But it's a day, a natural day. We generally. Uh, most retreats are going to start so that one could be aware of dawn. You know, some energy coming up, light coming up, then the fading into the into the darkness at the end of the day, and staying with all that, tuning to nature, the most primary thing. 
normally is referred to what retreat is called regaining the center. So when we are born, come into nature, into the natural world, and we're centered in that, opening up to it, we're fundamentally receptive. That's the most basic quality we have, receptivity. Very young, you can't really do much. You don't have any clear intentions or aims or routines, but you're deeply receptive. The nature of the center of our lives is, is, is very receptive, it's open and receptive. And that's uh, beautiful, but it's also um, problematic because uh, just like a baby starts shoving anything into its mouth, <laughs> get its hands on, unfortunately, we receive a lot of stuff that's not fundamentally for our welfare. Uh, it's either secondary or don't directly uh, just clutter or it's toxic. So our receptivity, which is the most fundamental quality we have, uh, and is the nature of the center, is to be receptive. We certainly want to respect that, and that is the primary um, mood of meditation, to listen deeply, very deeply. And yet there are other qualities that we all produce, basically. And the fundamental one is some kind of do-it energy. We do things. We're doers. Yeah. And this is called chitana. I say the Pali word because the English word isn't very accurate. It means intention. But intention is often associated with deliberate plan. But this is more like impulse because we certainly can direct ourselves towards actions. You know, we're going to do something. But even more fundamentally, our receptivity is directed to the sight, sounds, touches, thoughts, memories, and all those flickerings of intention. What's that? It's kind of flickering around. Yeah. Yeah. So the fundamental intention is to is to navigate within the sense world. Sight, sounds, touches, even thoughts, sense world. Something pops up, we navigate, center navigates in accordance with the sense world. And it does that so fundamentally, and would say necessarily, because that's what appears, sense world appears, we kind of feel we belong to it. <laughs> the navigation gets so um, so perpetual that the assumption is we, you know, we are in this sense world. We are, we belong to it, part of it. Yeah. Uh, and most of us probably say, "Oh, of course, yeah, that's right." Mm. That's the world of birth and death, sense world. Comings and goings, separation, pain, pleasure, separation from what we enjoy. That's the sense world. You know, their intentions are going out, trying to make it as comfortable and 
suitable as possible. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you can you can you can do quite a lot. You can do some good things in that, but you don't get to the end of that sense of separation, change, and death. Put it bluntly. <laughs> change, everything we, we see at their eyes for sooner we will leave, it will pass and we are kind of um, helpless in some respects that is uh, painful sights, pain producing sights and sounds can come whether we like them or whether we've chosen to or not if you focus on the sense realm there'll be something unpleasant that will come into you this odour tactile, cold, heat stuff happening it's not all that way but you are in a way there's a sense we are extremely, the centre is very vulnerable to sense impact and this makes it also agitated and defensive and kind of closes to try to huddle away from that or grasp to get as much as possible of the good stuff and this sets up this basic modality yeah, of uh, the Buddha pointed to of hunger hunger for defense hunger for acquisition of pleasure, pleasant, safe, secure experiences and as we know uh, <laughs> that's, uh, the percentages are not that great of uh, agreeable, comfortable experiences uh, the agitation and the anxieties that can occur uh, in, in our lives, in all human beings' lives and every one of us can list and look around the world and say, yeah, it's not that great you know, the, 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 the painfulness and the deprivation and the uh, um, loss is, is profound nevertheless that's what we are kind of dealing with or contemplating because you know, the point is it doesn't, you, don't have to, you don't have to belong to that you can relate to it you can notice it you can be with it but of course we have something more fundamental than that which is the nature of the centre itself which is receptive the receptivity it's aware it's balanced, it's poised and if you through practising cultivation you turn towards that then you're finding something that's got a life of its own a stability, a gravity, a poise a life of its own that is able to float like a ball on the ocean <coughs> rather than drown or struggle or try to find firm land and that's the possibility but this does also mean that another very fundamental uh, thing that we all have called attention you know, aware, receptivity, attention intention, attention means attention is that which locates something you give attention 
generally to sight, sounds, touches, and so forth. Uh, attention. So it's something that, for example, if we have our eyes open, we can see the visual field, which is quite a wide field, and then our eye will be struck by or taken by a particular object, which occupies about five percent of it, a detail. That focusing, its location, is attention. You know? And normally attention, intention says go there. Okay, you pick up that. What was that like? No, not very good. Go somewhere else then. Yeah. It does that. Like a, somewhere in a shopping mall or the internet, you know. Oh, what's that? Click, oh. <laughs> so this is the feature of attention. And attention, because our attention is is pretty much associated with the uh, sense realm goes out to that and also darts from this to that to this to that and in our social process rather than being creatures born in the sense realm we're also in the, the human realm our attention is, it moves in accordance with the speed of human communication and and technology and media so your attention can be very fast moving to keep up with the process of data being presented to bear in mind to think about to calculate to notice so you get attention overwhelm the point in which the receptivity begins to numb out there's so much coming in well, somebody gave me an interesting statistic the other year. They said, and this was something like in medieval Europe, 5th, 16th century Europe, the amount of data you would receive in a year is about what one would receive in a morning <laughs> in contemporary society. <laughs> right? And most of it, data is is um, symbolic. It's words, images, not natural quality, but purely abstract, symbolic words, images. So we tend towards that. Our attention normally goes to the idea level, thinking level. This means we come up into a lot of energy in the thinking mind to deal with and process the atten- the amount of stuff that's being thrust in. And I'm sure you recognize the phenomenon on retreat when there's actually nothing much to think about. <laughs> and so the mind just starts dredging up all kinds of things to think of because it's locked on that habit of going to that ideas, concepts, memories, so forth, and, and scanning around in there. That's its normal food. So it's saying, no, just, 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 just give attention to body oh, I've done that no no stay stay <laughs> <laughs> not just two seconds but like half an hour half an hour what for <laughs> well, what's the good about it nothing particularly good about it <laughs> it's just it's holding your attention steady learning to hold your attention steady you know of course it's quite a big ask to move from you know half a second to half an hour <laughs> <laughs> 
But we say, okay, we'll just do, you know, like a minute, a couple of minutes. And then what's easy, if you if you do something that moves, like a breath, like breathing moves or walking moves, then in a way that's easier for attention to stay with it because it's it's got something to hold on to that's shifting. It's not it's totally still. And when we come into then, you know, so you're weaning your attention. Yeah. And this means that as your attention becomes more steady and your intention is now turned you know, away from what's around you, the world around you, to something more intimate, ah, things start to change. Things start, our intimacy begins to light up. Our intimacy, this very body, this very feeling, this emotion, this sensitivity, you know, and the energy of the natural body begins to come alive and present itself and begins to clean everything out, begins to reset the nervous system, and the hyperstates calm down, and the deflated states brighten up, you get something more level, and you start to receive that. And the center lights up. Oh, good food. You don't have to pay for it. It's not going to run away. It's right here. (laughs) And it's actually uh, a a vitality of body and heart and mind. Before they're engaged, it's like you're taking stuff off the desktop and just find the desktop itself is already quite bright and enjoyable. Mm. So these are the kind of um, you know retreat practices, attention, awareness, receptivity, which is about awareness, sensitivity, which is most important thing. Steering intention and focusing attention on slower and less high detail. Our normal attention span is is quite a narrow focus. We're looking at words. So it's often quite cramped. Symbols and words, you're looking at eyes. Generally, visual, visual attention is the dominant one normally attend through our eyes. So that's quite a narrow focus. Body attention is like that. (laughs) It's like the attention when you take a shower, how hot's the water? The attention when you float in a swimming pool. It's it's quite wide. Attention if you say you're walking in the dark with a basket on your head. Everywhere. So your feet, your legs, your chest, your head, everything is going on. It's a wide span. And this is the, um, I would say this is the norm for, well, the recommended, mind recommended norm for meditation. Because that kind of attention is um, 
it's it's less cramped and it's less fragile focusing on a narrow object you easily drop it and it requires a certain energy to hold it so sometimes tense to hold narrow attention broad attention it's it's much less an obtrusive fact in its own right yeah if you're attending to, if you're giving attention to a crossword puzzle your attention is going to be a certain quite a charged compressed attention yeah now you widen that to your whole body it's lighter it's more comfortable and you can move around within that that's that's the mode I'm recommending for meditation or cultivation for the retreat and you can move stand walk sit lie down you stay in the same bubble and what arises within that body energy heart energy mental factors you can practice with that this evening to uh, initiate or to open the session you take refuges precepts um, that sense of dedicating the Dhamma is called beautiful in the beginning beautiful in the middle beautiful in the end Kalyana like every Pali word there are different translations of it admirable uh, Kalyana beautiful admirable that which uplifts and it's associated with the Kalyana Mita is the noble friend the beautiful friend spiritual friend uh, and the Dhamma is considered to be that kind of quality like a spiritual friend beautiful so it's called the beautiful and it's beautiful in the beginning in that we uh, begin to sieve through our aspirations and intentions and look for three particular qualities which all come together one is it's good good means it's um, ethical it has integrity it's clean it's not petty it's um, non-violent it's uh, non-abusive it's sharing it's uh, non-manipulative it's generous it's you know, it's got these qualities of it enables the we sense good is about the we sense you know? and everything that cramp shuts down the we sense or obstructs it is not good so the good we come to the we sense and attune ourselves to that to others as to myself and we all have that capacity good so the true true means stands up for itself you don't have to persuade it you don't argue with it it just stands for itself any angle you look at it it still remains the same true Mm. 
so the Dhamma is called the truth, it's just telling you the truth. And the beautiful. The truth is about, you say, objective fact. That's that. It's not other than that, that's the way it is. And uh, just bearing in mind, you know, when you know your truth, when you speak your truth, whatever that is, there's a certain mm, quality to it, isn't there? It's not just maybe, should do, could do, but if I've heard that, this is what's true for me now. You know? and that's where, so you get to that, a certain, the center lights up whenever there's truth. When there's goodness, the center lights up. And the beautiful, the beautiful is perhaps the most elusive one to define because it's very subjective. It's how things touch us, it's our, our sensitivity. The beautiful means there's no friction. Uh, the, the center can be open. Uh, there's nothing, no friction occurring. There's nothing occlusive. Uh, it's, it's resonant. We all, we all can use the word beauty. We apply it to the many things, flowers, people, um, art, so forth. We know that word. What is, what is the event? What is the actual experience when we detect something beautiful? What actually happens when you see, say, a flower or clothing or something, oh, something lights up. So the Dhamma is also this, because realization, realization, Dhamma is, has that same quality to it. It's always deeply intimate, subjective, but we get that feeling of, oh wow, oh, Suddenly doubt drops away, uh, confusion drops away, uh, pretense hop, you know, irritation drops away, and the mind is beautiful, beautiful mind. So these are the qualities that encapsulate Dhamma practice. And so with this we begin to say so it's not about, you know, <laughs> proving something. It's not about you know, it's about honesty, goodness, and beauty. And how can we uh, tune into those signs and walk, move, sit with that quality to it? Yeah. Those qualities. <coughs> 